Welcome to What Does This Mean?, a discussion of the Bible passages Lutherans and many other Christians read in church each Sunday. Today we read that our call is to be truth-tellers, and that's a call that entails suffering. But Jesus says, do not be afraid, I've got your back. We're glad you've joined us. Welcome to What Does This Mean? I'm Pastor Javen Swanson. I'm Pastor Bradley Schmeling. And I'm Pastor Lois Palmeyer. And we are the pastors at Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. It has been quite a week here. Today we're discussing the Bible passages assigned for Sunday, June 21st, but we are recording this just one week after George Floyd was killed in South Minneapolis. So much has shifted and changed in our world just in the past week. Who knows how different the world might be by the time you're actually listening to this. One of the things about the Bible is that these stories continue to speak to us in new ways and provide a lens through which we can interpret what's going on in the world around us. So we hope that the conversation we'll have today will help all of us unpack these Bible texts and hear how God might be speaking to us today through these passages. For this season of our podcast, we've been inviting special guests to help us talk about these readings. And today, our special guest is Ellen Witted. Welcome, Ellen. Hello. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name's Ellen Witted. I have two daughters. I, she's, I guess she's a sophomore in college, Elizabeth, and a soon-to-be junior in high school, if we can ever finish this school year, and that's Rachel. Um, I've been a member of Gloria Day since, I believe, 1995, so kind of old-timer, but not really, I guess, in the scheme of things, since we have people that were baptized there when they were super, super long time ago. I've done lots of things at church, various roles. I've been scola mom. I've uh, decorated the church. I've taught gap. I was upstairs in the water tower. And I guess my most latest thing that I've been doing, even though I can't do it now, is being a sacristan with Peter and Mark. And that's been really fun, a different way for me to join service. And you sing in the choir. Oh, yes. And I sing in the choir. I am an alto in the choir. I've been a member, I think, since Elizabeth was seven or eight, maybe. And Rachel would have been like kindergarten ages, somewhere around there. So a long time. Tell us, Ellen, what you do in your professional life. Um, I work at Twin Cities Public Television, so your local channel too. And my title right now is Division Finance Manager, which just means I am really good at forecasting numbers and knowing what to do with government revenue and watching trends, making sure they spend their money down, learning a little bit more and more about production every day. It's quite an interesting world coming from more of traditional nonprofit accounting where I spent 18 years, been there for all oh, three and a half years now. So it's quite, quite fun. Well, why don't we dive in to the readings? Pastor Lois, would you be willing to get us started? Yes, our first reading is Jeremiah 20 verses seven through 13. O Lord, you have enticed me, and I was enticed. You have overpowered me, and you have prevailed. 
I have become a laughing stock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I must cry out. I must shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. If I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, then within me there is something like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. For I hear many whispering, terror is all around. Denounce him, let us denounce him. All my close friends are watching for me to stumble. Perhaps he can be enticed, and we can prevail against him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me like a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble, and they will not prevail. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts, you test the righteous. You see the heart and the mind. Let me see your retribution upon them, for to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hands of evildoers. I thought this was interesting. I had to read it several, several times to kind of wrap my head around what it is. I really appreciate the beginning part of like, I have become a laughing stock all day long. Everyone mocks me. I, I have a thing where I call them my ghosts, where things that I've said going back to age two and that just kind of haunt me. And it's weird things of like things that you say when all of a sudden the room is quiet or things that you say in a staff meeting that's not necessarily the popular thing or the things that you say in high school when the teacher says something really rude to one of my classmates and I call them out and then they come out of nowhere and they hit me and bam, if I name it and see it and go, it was a moment in time and, and push it out. And it's almost, I, I have weird innate senses of being able to see the problems. And sometimes I get called a little bit of a chicken little, the sky is falling, but yet I know it's coming and I know it's there and no one wants to name it. And I think that's, that really speaks to me. And then again, down on the bottom where it's all my close friends are watching me to stumble. You know, if we just ignore Ellen and we don't listen to what she says, it'll, she'll stop and it'll go away, but it doesn't, it gets worse. And I think you can say that right now um, with all of our implicit biases and all of the filters that I come with my life and where I come from that keeps going. But if I stay steadfast in what I know is right and what I have to name and what I have to say, I'll stick to it. And eventually people do hear or the right person hears. And so I think that's what really speak to me. And so, you know, the Lord, you test the righteous, not that I'm righteous, but you see the heart and mind. I know God sees my heart and my mind and I may not say the right thing in the right way at the time to get my point across, but he, he sees what I'm trying to to do and we'll put the right person there to assist or help or help me out or give yeah. me the peace to just be quiet and wait. I think Jeremiah would say, amen, sister. That's my situation too. There are times in Jeremiah's life where he tries really hard. He talks about it here. It's like, I'm just not going to prophesy anymore. It just, it lands me into trouble. People mock me for it. I'm just going to, I'll just let it go and I won't speak up. And then when he sees something that needs to be said, 
it burns up inside him and he's like, blurts it out and he says it and there's all kinds of derision that he receives but he feels as if god why you you keep putting these words in my mouth i have to speak up uh it it's just going to burn up inside him without saying it out loud and he also says i stumble i said the wrong thing i didn't say it exactly the way i should have said it but i had to say something you know i just i had to remind you of what God has been trying to tell us. I'm going to say it out loud. So I think he would really identify with what you just described. That was a beautiful way of saying it. And you might become a laughing stock for bringing it up. And yet, you know, it's like, but I'm weary if I try and hold it in. I Sometimes it just falls out of me before I've even given myself permission to say it out loud. That's That's beautiful. Yeah, Ellen, I really like the way you framed this too, because it makes it a text about integrity living out what is within me and not holding back even when it's going to cause me trouble or or even embarrass me the inside and the outside match up have to match up in order to kind of experience faithfulness Right, because if I don't say something and then I have my opposite side of the ghost where I will relive that situation over and over and go, why didn't I say that? Why didn't I say that? Why didn't I think fast enough in the moment? And sometimes you just can't because it's so shocking at what you're hearing or it's so personal that what you're hearing and you just can't say something. But I think if we if we get out of our heads and lead a little more with our hearts and just say things sometimes and not out of meanness or hurtfulness, I think things would be better in some ways. Yeah, Ellen, I think you've named something that probably resonates with everyone listening. I think we've all had this experience of knowing something needs to be said and knowing what the consequences could be if I say it. And Bradley, I think what you just described, you know, the it's about integrity, right? And wow, I just, I think we can all really relate to that kind of experience. And you know, sometimes you read the Bible and it's like, what in the world was this about? <laughs> and this is a passage for me that really resonates. You know, I can find the meaning in it and I can immediately find the application to my own life, like what you just described. And I think especially right now, given what we're facing in the world and the truth telling that needs to happen around racism, the truth telling that we are seeing right now in the world that challenges a lot of us. And I think creates a lot of pain for the people doing the truth telling, but they can no longer be silent about it. And they're ready to endure the consequences for the sake of justice and truth. So I think this, what a great passage for our times. And thank you, Ellen, for helping unpack it today. I also love that you said it took reading it several times to be able to understand that. I think scripture is often like that. We just have to keep reading it over and over again in order to grab it. We don't often get it just on the first time through. So thank you for acknowledging that for all of us. Why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back with the second reading.
Our second reading for today is from Romans 6, 1b through verse 11. Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is free from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. To be honest with you, it felt like I was reading my high school students, who's now in college, English paper with full of run-on sentences and free-form thought. And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about this because he seems like he's circling and he comes back and he circles and he comes back and where's he heading with it? And I think the one nugget that I got out of this and the whole reading is that we might no longer be enslaved to sin. I think that means to me is that we're not enslaved. We have a choice to not live in sin and to accept that or to accept change and sin and then move on. I think that was his keep. He keeps going, yeah, but we're going to sin. But wait a minute, he died for sin. But wait, no, we, you know, we're going to be saved. But no, we're going to sin. And it's just this big circular thing of knowing what humans do. And I think it's 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 down to choice. Well, and I think that's a good nugget to get out of it, because that's probably a good summary of it, is that I think Paul is trying to say, just be who you are. You're in Christ, so be in Christ. Don't be in the old way. You're dead, you're dead to that. Even though we forget that all the time and we think the sin defines us or what we've done in the past defines us or what we've said in the past, that that's just going to shape us forever and we're stuck in it. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You get to start you get to start again because of what Christ did for you. Live in in that. Define yourself from that standpoint, not from an old standpoint. Ellen, when you were talking before earlier today about the ghosts, you have ghosts of things that you wish you hadn't said. You know, sometimes those ghosts remind you of things that you stood up for and said the right thing. But other times there's little nuggets where you think, Ugh, I wish, you know, and they, they haunt you at night, you know, a ghost like that. I think he's talking about you don't have to live with that in, in that pain of that anymore because Christ has already moved us into a place where we're living in 
in grace, living in the, the new kingdom. We're already living a resurrected life. Let the let that dead part be dead. <laughs> Move into a resurrected life, a life where you 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 are choosing to do the good and are able to choose life for yourself. God's already freed you to be in that place of of life and resurrection. Death has no more dominion over you, which is what we say at the at the Easter vigil at that time when we shift into Easter. This is going to be your definition from now on is life. And what I hear both of you saying, Pastor Bradley and Pastor Lois, is not so much that this is like a, so you better not sin anymore. You know, don't, don't sin anymore. (laughs) But it's like, it's scolding us. It's more reminding us of a reality that already exists for us, which is we are new people. We're free from all that. So just live into it. It feels much more liberating than it does feel sort of constricting, like, oh gosh, no, now I have to... (laughs) I have to do one more ought or should put on my life. It's it's freeing us. And I think I hear so many baptismal references in this text, both what you just described, Pastor Belly, that death has no more dominion over you, which is what we say as we're splashing people with water <laughs> at the Easter vigil. But just this whole idea that we die with Christ and are raised to new life. Um, and now we are living new life. And that's what comes to us in baptism. I love those metaphors for baptism, that it's in baptism, we are freed and we are already living the resurrected life with Jesus. So go on about your business and live into that new truth. Well, hearing this in the context of racial justice and the tumult in our country, I feel like one thing this says is build your world from the place of love and equality and justice. Don't build the world from a previous order. The old has passed away. Now build from a new place. Build your police force from a new place. Build your structures of of government from a new place. Let the old go. Let it let it be dead to us. I think that's a good place for us to take a break and come back with our gospel reading. Welcome back. Our gospel reading is from Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 through 39. Jesus said to the twelve, A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. 
Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. So I had to do some research on this one. I had to go back and read the first part, 1 through 23, to figure out, okay, this is kind of, we're, jump, we're jumping into some doom and gloom here. So what was he doing? What were they doing before this? That all of a sudden he's like, whoa, people, we're gonna, you're going to be persecuted. Right before that, he kind of gives them their mission of like, you're going to do X. You're going to go here. You know, this is, um, you're going to say these things. And then now this is like the second stage of the mission, if you choose to accept it. Oh, by the way, you're going to be persecuted. You might be killed. But at the very end, there's two parts that stick out to me of whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And I think when he was saying this, taking up the cross is way different, I think, than what we think of taking up the cross is. One of the passages that I read when I was researching this is that you know, um, imagine that you are in Rome and you see someone taking up a cross. It has a whole different meaning and connotation than what it means now, because you know that person has either committed a crime or they've blasphemed or, or something has happened. And so the, that cross that they're taking up is their, their death sentence. And I think he's asking more for, not for a token of commitment, but total belief behind it, knowing that that might be the end that you have. And our faith has not become cross-bearing. Instead, we equate it rather with our hardships as cross-bearing. I don't know where to make the transition from that, just knowing what the cross means. On Good Friday, when we lay our red ribbons on there, you know, it's, it's about death and hardship and violence. And how do we take that and move that into a positive been. And then the other part was all this part of setting people against each other. I think it's he's talking more about the hierarchy versus the relationship. And he's saying putting all of these higher relationships, even though, you know, they're in the commandments to honor your father and mother, but even putting those relationships ahead of him is not good. So if you put him or God ahead of those relationships, those relationships will be better. I think where you ended there, Ellen, is really an interesting idea that actually our human relationships are enhanced when we put 
Jesus, our relationship with Jesus ahead of them. That's an interest. I haven't really thought about it that way before, but, and that will feel at least at first as if it's a cross to bear, right? That it's sort of counterintuitive that by putting something else ahead of our family, (laughs) the relationships that we have with our family might actually be stronger. That's, that's something for me to think about some more. I remember learning about family systems theory in school and thinking about family systems have the relationship like a, one of those mobiles that just kind of gently floats in the wind. And if one of those pieces change, it reshapes the whole thing. Sometimes that's exactly what needs to happen for the whole system to find a new balance and a new way of relating is that conflict doesn't have to necessarily be a negative. It can be part of healing. And in fact, maybe that kind of break is often what's totally necessary for healing to come or for justice to come or for peace to emerge that's not just a cessation of conflict, but actually, you know, wholeness and love. I read an article about how pastors often jump to praying for peace in times of turmoil, which I am guilty of. I just long for when I'm feeling so disturbed and upset within myself, I I call out for peace. And Jesus says, do not think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've come to bring not peace, but a sword. And that just feels so shocking to us to read, you know, what, you know, Jesus is not teaching violence, but I think Jesus is teaching that Things like systemic racism that are so built into our our world, into my life, into the way I interact with people, that Jesus brings a sword to say, I'm going to pierce that. I'm going to cut that out of your life. And it's what you were describing, Pastor Bradley. That's going to upset that this little delicate balance in your in your family, your social system mobile. You know, it's like, ooh, that's going to cut something real bad because, as you said, Ellen, Jesus wants God's love and God's justice to be the primary thing on which we hang our relationships, not some weird family allegiance, not some weird sense of saying, there, 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 don't disturb anything. I know it's it's hard for you, but just live with that because I can't bear the discomfort of shaking things up. Jesus says, no, we're going to shake things up um, in order for God's reign, for God's values to actually take precedent in this community. And that's what it's going to feel like to take up a cross is to say, let God's justice actually be the the center point on which we hang our little balance of relationships. In community organizing, there's a tool we use called agitation. And it's where in a context of holy love for one another and mutual trust, you engage another person and for lack of better words, confront them about something you think is getting in their way and say, my judgment, Alan, is that you're getting, you're bumping up against this thing. And my judgment is that you need to do X, Y, and Z. And, and it's called agitation because it creates discomfort, but, and it's, we think of it as holy discomfort in that it actually has the power to remove a stumbling block and allow you and us together to move forward to a better place and get unstuck. And it feels like that is what I'm hearing in this gospel lesson is that 
yeah, it's going to feel like a cross and it has the power to disrupt relationships and create a lot of discomfort. It's the way that we move to a different and better place. This has been a great conversation and I think these are really important texts for us in this time. I feel like we could spend a whole nother episode on these passages. And maybe now's a good time to say that we are going to be taking a break for the rest of the summer and we'll be back with new episodes of this podcast in a couple of months. So stay tuned for that. Ellen, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a great conversation. We want to say thank you also to our assistant music director, Paul D'Amico Carper, who provided the music you heard today, and to Marshall Saunders of Minnesota Podcasting for producing these podcasts for us every week. Join us for worship every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. throughout the summer. We are worshiping right now online, and you can um, find more information about that on our website, gloriadaystpaul.org. Thank you all so much for joining us. Know that God is with you, God loves you, and God will provide what you need for today. This has been What Does This Mean? A podcast created by Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. You can find Gloria Day online at www.gloriadaystpaul.org. This podcast has been produced by Minnesota Podcasting. And they can be found online at www.mnpodcasting.com.